Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You, of course, know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now, we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. This episode, we're going to do a deep dive into borrowing strategy, and we have a guest expert to explain the important thing that all first home buyers need to know but often don't. David Johnson joins us today. He runs a business called Property Planning Australia, and part of that business is mortgage broking. Hi, David. Hi, Megan. Hi, I'm so Veronica. glad you've come along to educate us today. We love this part of the process. We love getting people to understand that you have to put as much effort into the pre-planning, you know, to get to base camp, to actually start putting yourself in the right place and building your team around you, your support crew around you. You know, that's just step one as far as we're concerned. So we're, we're always recommending and constantly recommending that buyers use a mortgage broker and not just any old broker, but one who's actually capable of putting together a borrowing strategy. Now, can you please explain what we mean when we say that? Well, look, uh, and thanks very much for having me. And um, you're right. I think 90% of the property decision-making is in the planning and, you know, the last 10% is in the asset selection, which is super vital. Um, <laughs> we, we, might, we may argue that there's a little more in the asset selection. <laughs> and a little bit more after you've selected the asset as well, the due diligence. You forgot about that, David. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we'll we don't discuss, digress. <laughs> we'll discuss percentages later. <laughs> uh, so, look, borrowing strategy and mortgage strategy is um, a core piece of the mortgage and property decision-making puzzle and one that's largely overlooked. So in, from a high level, we break down what we call mortgage strategy to into five core components. And these are the strategies that can um, create wealth for you and also help you manage risk, okay? And so our five areas are money management, risk management, optimising tax deductions, optimising the use of offset accounts and the ability to hold properties as you accumulate more. That sounds pretty sounds good. Sounds like a great basis for, yeah, so there's five really key things there that we can probably delve into a little bit a little bit more. Um, 
Uh, tell me when, when you're setting, when you're having a discussion with someone and starting that process, what what are the sorts of things that people would come to you um, and ask? Like what, what sort of things should they think about before they come to you? Look, I think the things they need to think about are what do they want to achieve? What are their goals at the end of the day? So we're we talking yeah. just about that property purchase or are we talking bigger picture? The bigger picture, yeah. And this is one of the big fallacies of mortgage strategy is the way you set up your mortgage from day one actually can have a huge impact on your long-term tax deductions, your ability to hold this property as you accumulate other properties, you know, and actually, yeah, having a plan for what you plan to do down the track. And the, the family home is a critical piece of this puzzle and most um, property advisory companies and, you know, spruikers totally ne- neglect the family home, mm. even though, yes. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, you because suggest- it is part of the asset base, isn't it? Uh, well, it's the biggest part for most Australians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, and let's just quickly look at why you might think that's the case. I've got one, one, uh, one theory, and that is that if I'm a spruker and you potentially could be buying, you know, more than one property from me and that's going to be enabled by negative gearing and all that sort of stuff and getting rental income. I'm going to sell you on the dream of rent vesting rather than buying your own home and forget all those tax deductions you might get on your own home, et cetera, et cetera. Is that sort of, am I, am I on the right track? Big circle around that. That is the right track, absolutely. I mean, you know, the vested interest for so many businesses is to focus on just buying investment properties and you know that's obviously a lot of the developers do and the spruikers do it's simpler to sell a one-size-fits-all solution for people (laughs) otherwise known as a cookie cutter if (laughs) (laughs) they're good in the kitchen but (laughs) actually you want to be the same as everyone else then you get a cookie cutter And it's it's a sausage, we call it a sausage factory. Um, And actually I should just step in and say something that's interesting here because both Megan and I, our businesses, yes, we're buyers agents, yes, we help investors, but we're not in that spruker space. Mm. And I think a bit of a warning sign, if anyone is thinking about using a buyer's agent, ask what their proportion of investor clients versus owner-occupier clients is because you want one, I think, that has at least 50%, preferably more, that are owner-occupiers rather than investors because if they build up that investor-reliant business, then their advice is going to be very heavily formulaic and not necessarily um, individualized and that's where it could go all go wrong. But that's that's a segue. That's nothing to do with borrowing strategy, but <laughs> I just thought I'd chuck that in there. That's a great point. That's a great point because they're clearly focusing on one part of the picture and they're going to, whether it's an unconscious bias or not, they're going to be more inclined to direct people towards the investment mm. strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and that may be the right strategy for those people if they're mm if that is part of their big goals. But just Mm. I think the thing that we really like people to understand is if someone's telling you what to do before they've asked that, particularly Mm. that question, David, you know, it's such a vital one. What are your goals? Where do you want to be in 20, 30 years? It feels like forever. But, you know, it's so important (laughs) to get this first one right. You think, oh, yeah, but I'll only own this for five years or whatever the case may be. But Mm. 
it's the biggest part. The first step in getting that right is the biggest part. And you don't want to be then turning around in two years and saying, mm. oh, whoops, I should have bought that in personal names. I should have bought it in a, a trust or I should have, we should have bought it in your name, not both names. Mm. Or, you know, and they're the sort of things when we're talking about you know, planning and structure, they're the sorts of things that you may not even know that you need to think about. And it's so critical for first-time buyers. So for first-time buyers, you really want to have a strategy that is planning to keep that first property when you purchase the second one. And most people aren't able to purchase their dream home. Yeah. With the, we would love to be able to, but obviously, you know, if you're living in a capital city, it's going to be very difficult, um, and particularly Melbourne and Sydney. So actually having a plan for, you know, if it's going to be what we, we call a stepping stone home, mm -hmm. um, you know, actually understanding that you would like to keep it, you would like to turn it into a, convert it to an investment property. Obviously this impacts the property selection strategy and, you know, there's considerations there. But in terms of the, the borrowing or mortgage strategy, you've got to really think about how do you preserve tax deduction. So a lot of the borrowing strategies are contrary to what we grow up believing. Okay, so it's actually... Let's go into that because this mm. is a question that we've got for later. So let's, let's bring that forward, Veronica. So what, what about if, you know, as part of the bigger picture, that, that sort of longer life picture, what about if the in intention is that the first home will one day become an investment? What, mm. what sort of things should people think about and talk about and, and have in mind rather than just going, well, this is my first time, I'm going to use all the grants I possibly can and, you know, get into the cheapest property I can get away with? Yeah, look, I suppose with your borrowing and mortgage strategy specifically, you actually want to look at making the lowest repayment you can. And before okay, everyone let's, let's falls, I'll unpack that. I'll unpack that. I love this. I love yeah. this. Oh, that just means I need a low it's interest rate, right? It's counterintuitive, yeah. isn't it? Because yeah. mum and dad have always told you to pay it off, pay it off, pay it mm. off, pay off your debt. Yeah. So all the first-time buyers and listeners who've just fallen off their chair. You know. <laughs> Pick yourself back up. Pick yourself back up. And this is, you know, the wonderful invention of the offset accounts. We, you know, we call it the, the bank's greatest invention. <laughs> and by actually making the minimum repayment into the loan. And if you think about a loan as a, a loan account, so just another bank account except it's in debit rather than credit. Um, by actually not paying it off, you're preserving, preserving the loan balance, which will actually optimise your tax deductions when it comes to turning that into an investment property. Now, you can still pay off your loan, and we 100% advocate that, every single time for every single person. And to I should, buy can I just account. say that for anyone who's listening, not watching the video, when he said pay off your loan, he was putting <laughs> rabbit ears around, okay? Just, <laughs> so, just, <laughs> yeah, just for those who are only listening to this. Uh, uh, yeah, right. so, so when you say you can... and video, I've got to remember I've yeah, video. Video too. and audio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're saying that basically, yes, you can pay it off, but you're, using, you're putting the money in the offset rather than off the actual loan balance. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so you're, you're keeping a loan balance high mm. because why, why, do, why would a future investor want to keep their loan balance high, David? Let's go yeah. into that a little bit. Yeah, so there's a two-pronged benefit. So the first reason for keeping the loan balance high is you're going to have more interest to pay and, you know, why that's a good thing is because your tax deductions will be greater when that home becomes an investment property. Now that... 
um, means the actual financial case for keeping that asset is stronger when it turns into an investment property, all counterintuitive to mm. what we grow up believing. But on the other side of the same coin is you'll be building up more cash to go towards your future home. So you're going to have less debt on your future home if you plan to buy a future home. And therefore, not only do you have less uh, greater tax deductions on your investment property that was your home, you have less non-deductible debt on your future home. So Great it's advice. Yeah. yeah. Now on this, so I imagine you've still got people that would come to you and say, look, I want to buy my home now and I'll buy it as soon as I can afford to get into the market and then that will be too small. So therefore I'll keep that as an investment and I'll, you know, at some point move, move ahead and upgrade. How can you project whether you can afford to upgrade in the future and what are the risks in terms of your asset selection or what you choose now? You know, are you, are you running the risk of compromising what you buy now because you're trying to sort of spread your money a bit thin? Yeah, potentially. And these are all the things that we have our clients weigh up with the property plan is, well, you know, what, what do you actually want to achieve? You know, what does your ideal home look like? Let's actually paint a picture of what that looks like now. Um, and should your first property be an investment, you know, or should it be a stepping stone home? You know, should you hold off? Mm. Um, these are all factors you need to consider. I mean, ultimately, you want, unless it's a pure lifestyle purchase and it's your, your, your home, you know, you really want to tick investment boxes mm. with that first property. Get some fundamentals out there in the due diligence. Make sure that um, you're not buying something that a future buyer wouldn't find attractive because, of course, that's where your capital growth comes from. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to leverage into another property, you need the capital growth. Oh, you, you do. do indeed. Yeah. Now, First property is so important. Oh, God, yeah. You're singing to it from our book here. I mean, <laughs> if you don't get the first one right, you're never going to get the second one, that's for sure. Now, why isn't the interest rate the thing that we should be focusing on? Well, the simple reason is you, you can get a great interest rate. It doesn't, it doesn't take rocket science to understand 2.99% is lower than 3%. Mm. <laughs> yep, that's okay. good. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so the tricky stuff... <laughs> Is borrowing strategy, mortgage strategy, should I, first-time buyers, you know, they often have loans in place. You know, I was just checking a property strategy report for one of our property plans today. You know, both the members of the couple have a hex debt. You know, they, they, one of them has a car loan. There's some strategy around actually paying off one or two of those loans to get their borrowing capacity up to the mm. level that will help mm. them get a good asset and also fit, you know, a stepping stone home that they'll be happy to live in. So, you know, the complexity is in the borrowing and mortgage strategy um, and then the interest rate can come after that because selecting, look, I don't want to, you know, undersell product selection, you know, but look, most variable rates have an offset account attached. You know, fixed rates, if you're going to fix some debt, well, then you want some variable because you have limitations on how much you pay, can pay off. On, um, you often can't offset loan. against fixed, can you? That's right, yeah. Mm. So that's, that's one of the reasons you want to keep pretty much in all occasions a percentage of your loan variable. And mm. what you want to, let, let's say um, if you lock in for three years, well, then you want to look at how much in the best case scenario could we pay off or put into our offset over those three years, build some buffer, and that's how much you want to keep as a variable rate loan. Oh, nugget there. Nugget, <laughs> nugget of gold there. <laughs> and buffer. 
because, you know, we haven't talked about buffers yet, but I would imagine buffers, and we do talk about buffers as well and safety nets, and so buffer would, I have no doubt, be part of the borrowing strategy or your mortgage strategy. Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, all that um, borrowing capacities or serviceability calculators and lenders look at is your cash flow surplus at the end of the day, but you also need some money in the bank. So that's a buffer, you know, we call it your available funds buffer. Now, that could be through redraw and savings. And so we set two money goals with every single person we sit down with. And one is how much surplus cash flow do you want after you settle on the property? And how much money do you want to have access to as a buffer? And that they really drive the price point that people are comfortable with mm. because everyone has a different risk profile and it shouldn't be determined by, you know, what bank A or lender B's serviceability calculator will tell you that you can borrow. <laughs> oh, and, and online calculators. <laughs> so it's, it's almost, in, your, in your industry, it must be akin to how we feel about automated valuations on properties. Yeah, pretty much the same. Very good Ba-ba-ba. correlation. Yeah. <laughs> Don't trust online calculators. Don't trust them. <laughs> Now, with what? interesting you said there about, you know, um, you recommended that these particular clients pay down their, their car loan and HEX. Now, and I imagine a lot of people think, but my interest rate on my car loan is like, I don't know, what are they now, 13%? I've got no idea what a car no, loan interest rate is. you can is. get pretty reasonable ones. No idea. Up but fives or sixes? Still more than your home loan, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. I would imagine that people are looking at the interest rate saying, oh, I, well, I should be paying down, um, you know, Obviously, I've got to pay that down, but they're not realising that that's over a shorter period of time, right? And then so some people would want to roll that into their home loan, wouldn't they? Have you ever heard of that? (laughs) Yeah. So, look, yeah, and what they're often not putting a price on is the cost of getting into the market, which you guys would be experts on and, you know, understand that, look, yeah, you can wait until you've paid off the hex or the car loan, but... You know, today's, and, you know, we're in a turning market right now. This podcast sounds like it'll go live maybe in the, some point in the first quarter mm-hmm. um, of 2021. I think the market's still going to be rising then. Yeah. Um, you know, what costs $600,000 today, by the time you paid off that, that loan, it might cost six fifty seven hundred thousand dollars $700,000. So your true cost is a lot more than, um, you know, the paying off a higher interest rate. A little yeah. bit more. Mm. Yeah. yeah, the opportunity cost of not getting in when you can sometimes can cost you a little bit more in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. hard for first home buyers because when you're upgrading, timing the market isn't quite so critical, but absolutely getting in at the right time and trying to work out when you've got enough and when it's time to pounce before shooting off too early. You know what I mean? There's a lot of moving factors. Yeah, I think, I think the key point is that there's no, again, it's just that there's no one size fits all. Mm. You need to oh, understand these. <laughs> another nugget. Yes. <laughs> singing from the same hymn, singing, singing from the same hymn book again. Yeah. Can you just repeat that, please, David? <laughs> there is no one size fits all. <laughs> yeah. And so, look, for some people, it'll make sense to pay off the high interest rate loan. For others, you know, it'll make sense to pay it off and get into the asset faster. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's really, really delving into the individual situation and understanding, you know, broadly speaking with your experience, what are the what options they have and what are the opportunity costs of choosing one option over the other. Yeah, and genuine mortgage strategy totally connects with property strategy. You know, it's like one of the fingers in the glove. 
Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> Great analogy. All right. Tell us, what are some of the avoidable mistakes that you see first home buyers make? Uh, well, not rushing in. <laughs> not rushing you in. You mean they do rush in? They do rush in. Is that the mistake or the mistake is they <laughs> don't rush in? Yeah, well, <laughs> they do rush in. So, um, yeah, don't rush in. Um, you know, listen to this podcast. Do your Home Buyer Academy. Um, you know, take the time to plan and get things right. You know, it might take four to eight weeks of, you know, borrowing mortgage strategy, you know, working with a great buyer's agent, you know, but, but take the time to be clear on what you want to achieve and that your strategy aligns with what you want to achieve both today but, you know, five and ten years down the track. Mm. Yeah. Good point. We like not rushing. And, in fact, in our PACE system where we've got step five is is revise and correct. It's revise and scores. correct. Yeah. Stop. Reflect. You've <laughs> done all your research and planning. You've even got out looking at properties. But now's the time just, just to hold for a minute, sit, review. Are we on the right path? Do we have the right equipment? Are we yeah. about to fall off right the glacier? people on our team. <laughs> yes. Is our mortgage yeah. broker pushing us in a direction that we really shouldn't be going mm. and therefore we've got the wrong mortgage broker? Mm. <laughs> And yes. if we're buying with a partner, we're going to have to compromise <laughs> at times. <laughs> the dirty C word. Yes. I <laughs> uh, love a bit of a C word. Um, so now there's a lot of online lenders, okay? So we're talking about to you about borrowing strategy, which is really a cut above what a lot of mortgage brokers would talk about. And we do, um, you know, and we do recommend dealing with a broker rather than dealing with directly with the bank. But there's there are there's a lot of ads out there on bus shelters I see for um, online lenders, and it seems to be a growing space. So, are there any risks with using an online lender? Look, I, th I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the online lenders are able to make their profits because they're selling you low rates and um, not really any advice or strategy. So, um, you know, they are the cookie cutter of um, the mortgage industry, I mm -hmm. suppose. Yeah, so, you, you again, like the purpose of your academy and this podcast is to educate people to consider and make thoughtful decisions mm. um you know those ads are about attracting people to low rates and mm. that that's pretty much it so as we touched on before you can get a low rate and there's a new low rate every week and um <laughs> it doesn't make sense you know it's not practical to refinance every week mm. so if you just get too caught up on the bright light of the interest rate you're going to lose sight of probably the things that are actually important that are going to make you uh, money in the short and long term. And it's, it's probably fair to say that some of those really, really low interest rates, I mean, the, I mean the really base level where there's, you know, no bricks and mortar to the lender, they haven't got a presence except for online, um, they often don't have the sorts of things that in a good mortgage strategy you would value, such as an offset account. Absolutely. So a lot of them won't have the offset account and the offset, you know, we call it the, it greases the wheels of all the other mortgage strategies. Wow. <laughs> and I think I think that, um, you know, a lot of first-home buyers probably thinking, oh, look, this is not an investment. Like, I just need to get in the market. I just need a cheap rate. It's, it's once again, I think what you're saying there about slowing down just to make sure you're making the right decision. And I mean, I guess then even if you went to a, an online lender afterwards, if you decided that you didn't need anything more fancy, that you just needed a simple loan, then that's fine. But I just think that the problem is that you don't know what you're 
don't know. Mm-hmm. You don't know what features can be in loans that you're missing out on, and particularly with first-time buyers because you've never had a mortgage before, so you don't mm-hmm. actually know what you can get locked into without realising it. And also a lot of people, you don't, they don't actually um, get a mortgage and then and that have the same mortgage for 30 years these days, do they? Not, you know, my parents bought a property. <laughs> Nobody refinanced, but no, now. My parents are still with the same <laughs> bank as when they yeah. bought their first property. Yeah, yeah. So that was the old way and I. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And often there was relationships with, you know, banking managers and, mm. and, and it was done in, on a very personal level and they didn't yeah. always look very heavily into the interest rates or the facilities or or any of the benefits. It was really relationship-based, wasn't it? Um, and I, I just want to segue yeah. into using that and how that used to be a relationship-based thing with your bank, what what does a broker offer that you can't get by going directly to a bank? Well, a broker should offer another level of personalisation and service. So um, the best brokers will be experts across, you know, uh, many, many lenders. So we have about 40 lenders on our panel. So obviously mm-hmm. if you go to a lender direct, they've only got one set of products that they can sell you and, and they're just going to sell you those products. Um, so th- that's the key point of differentiation. Beyond that, you know, brokers are regulated. When you deal with a lender direct, they don't have the same regulation. So they don't have to produce a credit quote and a credit proposal disclosure document. There's best interest duty that's coming in um, as of Jan 1, they don't have to do that. Is this all the result that. of the, the Royal Commission to Banking? No, look, this regulation's been in place for probably seven years or so. Um, best interest duty is the, the new thing um, that's coming in from Jan 1, but really what they've done is they've bond- bundled the existing approach and added some extra elements to it. Mm. And, you know, I think it's been influenced by the banks um, because they don't have to do any of that, mm. uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a yeah, I think it's a really big point that the industry really hasn't sold enough to <laughs> consumers that you know brokers are regulated to a much higher standard and actually have to provide all this regulatory paperwork and have had to for five to eight years mm-hmm. um, that you don't get you know when you go to a lender direct. I didn't know that. Interesting. Mm. Okay. Well, so there's actually a lot more disclosure on your behalf and a, and a lot more, um, a, I guess, attention to the process that you follow. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a much more thorough process that, in fact, I was on a webinar on this just prior to coming onto this podcast. Yeah, it, there's a lot more. So you're learning a lot all the time and you're updating your skills and, and I would imagine you're learning about different products from banks and changes in policies and, um, you know, one thing that we've experienced is if you're just with a bank and the bank is swamped with applications, processing time can push out to 21, 30, 40 days just to get an approval on a on a um, pre-approval or even a on a purchase that you've done, which can put a purchase at risk sometimes. Um, so you'd be across, I'd imagine, those sorts of changes in processing times when people are on a, a tight time frame. Yeah, I mean, that's a great example um, that bro- a broker should be able to say, look, you, you really want to move quickly. You've got a property coming up. You know, the major banks at the moment are taking mm. 30 days <laughs> just to assess it, even if you get approved first go, which many aren't mm. for various reasons. Um, so why not? Why don't we go with a second tier lender who we know has turnaround times at the moment of three days. Now, Did you're you not know they've got in. a similar product? 
well, guess look, you're the wanting thing- to make it as good a, a, a decision, not just based on <sighs> the processing speed. Yeah, look, I mean, but again, this it's not one size fits all. It might, mm. you know, you might want to buy a property in four days and, and go, okay, well, look, we, this is a good lender because you don't have to go put your loan through the lender who gave you pre-approval. Yeah. So you can, point. yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it depends what your top priorities are for as an individual, as a borrower at that particular point in time. And so on that, so basically what you're saying that you can, and in New South Wales, you have to exchange contracts or in other states you can you can put an offer on a contract. Um, and at that point of time, you know, you've got pre-approval with one bank. Basically, then you've got a settlement period. And so, and obviously we cover the options that you have in the settlement period in, in the, the course, your first yeah. home buyer course. But it, that's one of the things you could then go to your broker and say, well, actually, I'm not 100% happy with that what are our other options to explore mm. in that period of time, right? But if you've only got a very short settlement, you might be cutting your options there, but if you've got a longer settlement, so how long do you need? Look, I mean, that, that's like probably a one in 50 example, but um, so <laughs> you, you would want to be able to negotiate a long settlement period. And when I say long, you probably want it to be, look, at least 45 days, and I know that's not long, that's pretty standard, or 42. Mm. Depends what state you're in, David. This is something that we teach people in the course is every state has different Different. normals. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, in a case like that, if you've got a property you've fallen in love with or you really want to take advantage of and you don't have pre-approval, well, that might be a case, you know, consider where can I get a pre-approval quickly mm. and then you know my broker can say look i know this is a very good lender we've we've got a bit of a sense of this situation you know enough of a sense let's get it in there so you can actually attend this auction on friday and then if you're successful let's keep getting clarity on what is the best lender for you great advice because Just you don't cool. you're not stuck with that pre-approval and yeah. and that might be a fear that people have is they've got to get the choice of the bank right first and, and each bank does assess people differently don't they yeah look lender policies is i guess each bank's form of the law and um you know so they all have it written different ways it gets mm-hmm. interpreted different ways and um yeah so you know that's one of the aspects an expert strategic mortgage broker would be across and know, well, you know, your circumstances would be suited to this lender or these lenders. And, you know, sometimes that's the lender that you should be looking to go with purely because they're the only lender or one of only a few lenders who would approve you um, in your situation or at the level you're looking to purchase at. Yeah, because different lenders will lend different amount of money to the same people, right? So... How can first home buyers make themselves more attractive as a mortgage customer? Um, aim to have no consumer loans. So um, consumer loans like things um, like a personal loan or um, uh, what do they call interest-free cards, you know, all these sorts of things. They matter, don't they? And it's not just, yeah. is it fair to start, say that it's not just how much you owe on them but the limit <laughs> that you have on it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So um, the limit you have is what a let will determine and limit your borrowing capacity. So, you know, you might have a $20,000 limit on a credit card that you pay off in full every month, mm. but it's your limit that will limit your yeah. borrowing capacity. Mm. Yeah. It's so, such yeah. a good one for people to understand. Mm. Yes, yeah, it is. You know, like if you can reduce it down to two or 3000 um, 
you know, if you can even live off a debit card and create these sorts of habits, you know, if you've, yeah, so uh, these are the types of things you can look at as a first-time buyer. But, you know, if you've got those things in place, again, sit down with your strategic mortgage broker and work through what it might make sense for you to give and take and how that aligns with what you're trying to achieve out of your property um, strategy and plan. We call it getting financially fit. Yes. <laughs> and some of the things that, that people might do, I mean, obviously changing a job, that's going to impact on your ability to get finance too, isn't it? Yeah, so changing a job is a good example. Um, if you're in changing industries in particular, mm-hmm. um, being on probation, uh, you know, casual employment can have an impact. Um, commissions, bonuses, you know, they'll subject to how long you've been earning them, they may only take uh, 25 or 50% mm-hmm. of your commission. You know, generally you want to have a one- to two-year track record of, a, you know, a full year of earning your commissions and bonuses, starting up a business. You know, you want to have been trading for more than two years. You know, if you've just started up a business, it might be difficult to get a borrowing capacity through most lenders, you know, for two or three years. So, mm. yeah, there's a whole... There's a bunch of pitfalls, really. Having a baby? Mm. Yeah, yeah, having a baby, uh, somewhat discriminatory, but, um, mm. yeah. Like, well, it's, the, it's the impact on income, isn't it? Not, not so much the, the baby. It's whether, whether both parties are still going to be earning the same income for the period after the, the birth. It's spot on. So, you know, it's obviously going to impact income for a period of time, mm. Um you know, and increased costs, increased costs, <laughs> oh, yeah. increased costs. Those little yes. tiny things are very expensive. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've got three of them. <laughs> they certainly increase costs. <laughs> <laughs> so, therefore, people should be thinking about getting into their first home before they change jobs, set up new businesses, or have babies. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> In an ideal world, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, but as soon as you have a plan for buying your first property, and even if it's a two-year down-the-track goal, you know, start learning these things. Do your academy. Um, talk to a strategic mortgage broker. Yeah, plan. you can never really start planning too early. Actually, that's, that's a great advice. It is, and it's a really good point because a lot of people think that they should only go to a broker when they've already saved all the deposit, mm. and we actually encourage them to get a relationship going with a broker earlier on for that exact reason. And and I guess, you know, if someone came to you and said, look, you know, I'm saving for a deposit on my home, um, I don't yet have it, you know, I guess if a broker says, I'm not interested in talking to you yet, then that's a good sign, don't go with that broker. But in your business, you know, what does what would your brokers and your team say to the people that came with that sort of question or that sort of stage in the process? Yeah, well, look, what I'd hope they would say, and I'm very confident <laughs> they would say, uh, is they would sit down with them for, you know, 30 minutes, uh, maybe even 45, and help them understand, well, here's where you're at now, here's what your borrowing capacity looks like. You're saying you want this out of a property, um, you know, to get financially fit, um, you need to do this, you should save that, you know, look at paying off this car loan, uh, you know, and they'll just help them to have direction and really set the goals um, that will allow them to have the affordability slash borrowing capacity to achieve the property strategy that they want to achieve. And that's that, all they need. 
That is brilliant. And look, thank you so much for joining us today, David, because, you know, we've been talking about this borrowing strategy and we wanted to get you on to explain it and also give us some really practical advice and you've done that. So appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been great being with you both. We'll, uh, we'll actually have some links to some of David's articles um, that have appeared in Domain and uh, link to your website as well. So feel free to reach out to David if... Um, regardless of where you are in your process mm. because you cannot, yeah. what was it? You cannot plan too early. You yes. cannot start planning too early. Absolutely. You can start planning too late. You can, you can revise. <laughs> That's right. It's never too early to start planning. <laughs> Is that what you're trying <laughs> to say? That was it. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. There's another one for everybody. <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks a lot for joining us, David. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.